through the rewards of servanthood tonight, and we will just allow God to speak to our hearts. You know, one of the things that we must try to make sure we do when God is speaking to us, there must be a response. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I don't like to talk to my kids and they don't respond. I don't like to talk to my my children and they don't respond. So as a parent, you want your children to respond to you. And I will say, as a child of God, God is looking for us to respond to him. He is our father and he's looking for us to respond to him. So let's hope tonight as we go through our study of the rewards of servanthood, we will respond to the Lord and not just hear what the Lord is saying. Because Jesus lived his life as a servant, as his followers, we are called to do the same. Because Jesus lived his life as a servant, as his followers, we are called to do the same. The life of a servant is rewarding because it pleases God. Now before I get too deep into our study, I want to bring this to your attention. Listen to me very carefully in what I'm about to say. One can serve the Lord Jesus Christ in the local church and not make it into heaven. However, one cannot make it into heaven without serving the Lord in the local church. I'll say it again. One can serve the Lord Jesus Christ in the local church and not make it into heaven. However, one cannot make it into heaven without serving the Lord in the local church. And so I say that to say we may see sometimes folks are serving and we might look and say, okay, I need to serve too or might not even think much of it. But serving God is a prime principle that we must do if we're going to please God. Can you imagine your children? Well, you probably can't imagine it. Can you imagine your children living at home and working against what you're doing? Children at home, and you're trying to do some things and, and move the family along and make sure the family is being blessed and the, the family is doing the right things and we're doing things to grow and be better people as a family and the kids are doing the opposite. At some point in time, you're going to say, you can't stay here. And so if we're going to be the children of God, we have to get involved. And help with the purpose of God. We cannot, we cannot be the children of God and just do whatever we want. Our focus text tonight is Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto man, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye 
serve the Lord Christ. I'll, I'll get with that a little bit. I'll break that down a little bit because I'm sure the first thing we look at, and it says here, servants. That always makes us feel uncomfortable. Then you go ahead to talk about masters. That doesn't sound too good. Servants, masters. We're talking about 2017. How's that uh, proper? But we'll get into that in a second. The benefit of service is not volunteering at the soup kitchen on Thanksgiving Day. I remember at um, our home church, we had started serving the homeless on Thanksgiving. And we didn't want to do like everybody else did. We wanted to bring them in to our church in a nice warm area and feed them as they would if they went to a restaurant. And so that was different. People were at the soup kitchen ladling soup and giving them sandwiches and all different kinds. We felt like it was right to do something to let them know that they're special as opposed to just doing something. And unfortunately, sometimes we just do things to say, I'm doing something. Nowadays, with, with, with technology, especially for some politicians, we, we go to soup kitchens on holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas time, and we might serve for a half hour and, and take a selfie or take a picture with some folks down there and says, oh, this guy or this lady was down at the soup kitchen serving, and that gets in the paper and we look good. That's kind of what we do sometimes. Us politicians, eh, we, we do that to say we served. Because... When we think about serving, we don't think about the true essence of it. We want recognition, and we want recognition instantly. And so, I can't say enough of how we're just in a place and time of society when it's easy to really look at what's going on with people, because here's what we do. If what we're doing... We can't reap benefit and instant benefit. We usually don't do it. We can't help ourselves anymore. Instant gratification and instant benefit for doing something is how we live right now. And if we can't see where we will receive instant gratification, instant benefit for serving, then we probably end up not serving. Jimmy Carter served as the 39th president of the United States. He served in a difficult time and Americans did not return him to office for his second term. Decades after leaving center stage, Jimmy Carter chose to serve in a way that would impact those less fortunate. Through Habitat for Humanity, the former president served as hands-on participant, building homes for those less fortunate. Into his eighth decade of life, in his 80s, Jimmy Carter taught an adult Sunday school class at a Baptist church in Plains, Georgia. It is unlikely that Jimmy Carter will ever be spoken of as being among the greatest American leaders. But 
he may well leave behind a legacy having served humanity better than many others. Go back to that politician thing. Most presidents, governors, as they aspire for their office, senators, whoever they are, they will do a little here and a little there to get some recognition to be out in the public so you can say, oh yeah, and you'll vote for them. Jimmy Carter, when he stepped down from center stage, went and served people, and he did that better than when he was the president of the United States. Serving usually is not a position that will be recognized and highly esteemed. The masses pay little attention to those who serve. So that's probably another reason why we struggle to be servants, whether it be in the kingdom of God or in our community, wherever it is. We struggle with it because people do not recognize those who serve. Quite often, such people are virtually invisible to the masses. As you serve, whether in your church or in your community, you're almost invisible. Nobody's worrying about who's serving. They're worrying about what they're getting. We like to be served. We don't like to serve. The value of Christian servanthood is never experienced in the idea that servants suddenly become a popular thing. So, so we don't want to serve, especially in the church, because being a servant is never really a popular thing. Now, let me tell you this. This is very important. Listen to this. Serving in the kingdom of God is a faith thing. Serving in the kingdom of God is a faith thing. So that tells you where we are when we're talking about faith. Because it's faith that causes one to serve. The faith is that you know that God knows what you're doing. See, when you're serving God, you have to make up in your mind and understand that God knows you're serving and maybe others don't know why you're serving. Maybe others don't give you accolations and say you're serving, you're doing a good job. Maybe people don't give you the congratulations or build you up or make you feel good. But God knows what you're doing. That's why serving is a faith thing. Because people might see you and expect you start treating you like a servant. And so when they start treating you like a servant, how are you going to respond? That's why serving God is a faith thing. George Morrison, a preacher in the 19th century, said, God rarely allows his servants to see all the good they are doing. <laughs> oh, I'll say that again. God rarely allows his servants to see all the good they are doing. Again, serving is a faith thing because you normally won't really even see your impact while you're doing it. Real serving, that is. If we want to do something that's going to give us the spotlight, that's another story. We'll get to that. But real servanthood in serving God, most of the times you won't see the impact 
immediately. I've had a few occasions where people have come to me and says, man, I remember I was in a bad state and you just came and laid hands on me and all of a sudden it's like my life changed. I don't even remember. When you're locked in in serving the Lord, you're not locked in looking for results. You're serving because it's a faith thing. You're serving because you want to please God. That's why you're serving. You're not serving for any other reason, which means it's very hard for people to get you upset while you're serving God because you're serving Him and not the people, even though you are serving the people. The harvest is the end of the age, not the end of the week. We struggle a bit with that. Payday today is much more attractive than payday someday. Regardless of our preference, the outcome for most service will only be known in eternity. Serving is a faith thing. And it's not until we get to eternity that we will realize what kind of impact we had in serving the Lord. Remember what I said when I started. A person can serve the Lord Jesus in the local church and not make it into heaven. However, a person cannot make it to heaven without serving in the local church. You can go dig a little deeper into that statement and you'll realize what I'm saying, how true and accurate that is. Elijah served God. And God's people well. Anybody know about Elijah the prophet? Uh Uh-huh. Elijah served God and God's people well. Elijah is known to have done eight recorded miracles. He is known to have performed eight recorded miracles that God used him to perform. Elijah. We all know about Elijah. Powerful man of God. And we love Elijah. He's done some great things for the Lord. But one can argue that the miracles that Elijah did wasn't his greatest accomplishment. One can argue that Elijah's greatest accomplishment was developing Elijah to succeed him. Elijah did eight recorded miracles. Elisha did 16 recorded miracles. So he was a great prophet, Elijah was. But him mentoring and developing Elisha gave greater impact in his ministry than what he did. Now, here is something I realized in studying this. When Elijah told Elisha to come with him, all he did was he found him farming. Elijah found Elisha farming. And he just threw his mantle on him and says, come on. And Elisha just left this farmland, his father's house. One can say they probably had a little bit of money. 
because you have a nice little farm business going. You, you probably was doing okay. He left that and followed Elijah. Now, here is the trick. Man, so much was discovered in going through this lesson that we're talking about tonight. Elisha served Elijah. Elisha served Elijah. Meaning, Elisha was there at his every move. What do you need? Let me help you with that. Oh, I got that. All he did was serve Elijah. And to us these days, you see somebody doing that, you're probably going to say, man, he's a man worshiper. <laughs> he treating that man like that man is God. That's what we would probably say right now. If that was happening before us, we would make Elijah look bad. Man, why you keep following Elijah around? You act like he's God. God is the Almighty. He's just a man. That's what we would probably say. But he served them. There were times when Elisha just poured water on Elijah's hand just so he can wash it. Again, what would you be doing? How would you feel about just pouring water on the prophet's hand? Hmm. But that's what he did. He did that and followed that man and served that man. And he became the successor. He didn't know he was going to be the successor for Elijah. He didn't know he was going to do more miracles than Elijah. All he did was just follow blindly. Because why? It was a faith thing. It had nothing to do with the man. All he know is, I'm serving the Lord. But in this particular case, I'm serving the man of God, which is pleasing my God. So he was serving the man. Serving the man in faith. Taking care of the man in faith. My wife probably can, I don't know if she ever thought that. You ever thought, you ever thought that? That I was serving the man and not God? You never thought that? Okay. Because I dropped my wife for a second. In a second, I got to go. The man of God need me. <laughs> I don't know what that was like when she was thinking at those times, but I'll just be home sitting down and all of a sudden a call come in. I said, I got to go. She barely heard me pull out the driveway. I'm gone. Well, you know that I'm on the road, heading up to New York or heading somewhere, driving the man of God. But I'm sure there were people that felt like I was serving a man. Yes. I love the man. And yes, I was serving the man, but I was serving the man with the heart and the mind on Jesus Christ. And yes, probably someone from the outside would look at it and thought that I was serving the man, but I was serving God. But the man re reaped the benefit of what I was doing. And so Elisha did more miracles. Elisha served the man faithfully. Now, that's not always the case. This is, this troubled me a little bit. So. There was another guy that came behind 
Elisha, now he's the prophet. Elijah, whirlwind, he's out of here. Now, Elisha is the prophet and doing miracles. We said there's 16 recorded miracles that Elisha did. But while Elisha was the prophet doing all the miracles, there was another servant. His name was Gehazi. Mm-hmm. Gehazi was Elisha's servant, just like Elisha was Elijah's servant. Gehazi is perhaps the most often referenced servant in all, in all of Scripture. In his role as servant, Gehazi is mentioned 18 times. In 2 Kings. He is mentioned so often because Elisha mentored Gehazi by delegating meaningful tasks to him. Still, Gehazi repeatedly participated in the miraculous. One would assume that the prominence of Gehazi's involvement in ministry of Elijah would mean that Gehazi would be the successor to Elisha. Mm -hmm. If Gehazi becoming a prophet was the expectation, that expectation was never met. Let me tell you a little bit about Gehazi. There was a, a guy in the Bible by the name of Naaman. Second Kings chapter five. The Bible says he was the captain of the Syrian army and he was afflicted with leprosy. And so Naaman knew he had leprosy and he knew the prophet Elijah. Where he lived. Back in those days when you know where the prophet is and you think something is wrong and you need good counsel, you go to the prophet. So, Naaman went to Elisha's house to find out, can Elisha tell him how to be healed from this leprosy? So Naaman went. Elisha told him what to do. But Elisha used Gehazi a lot to convey what he's saying. So it's like, Elisha would say, Gehazi, tell Naaman he has to go and dip in the Jordan seven times. Here come Gehazi telling Naaman the story and all that stuff. So Gehazi worked pretty closely with Elisha. And so Elisha would convey information to him. He will convey the information to whomever it needs to be conveyed to. And so Gehazi conveyed to Naaman, that the prophet says, go and dip in the Jordan River seven times and you will be healed of your leprosy. Eventually, Naaman got around to doing it. If you read the story, he didn't do it right away. But eventually he got around to doing it. And when he did it, he was healed. When he got healed... Because he had a little bit of clout, leader of an army, 
Probably had a little bit of change. He wanted to give a great gift to Elijah the prophet to say, man, I appreciate how I got healed through the words you told me by speaking to go to Jordan and dipping and getting healed. So he wanted to give him all this gift. Elijah says, I'm good. I'm cool. I don't need any of your gifts. It's all good. And Naaman says, you sure? I'm good. And so Naaman went on. Elisha went about his business. But something wasn't quite right. Gehazi ran behind Naaman's army. Hey, Naaman, just spoke to my master, Elisha. His two sons, this is a little situation there. Um, if you would give us a certain amount of gift, that would be really great. That's what my master asked. And that we can, you know, make sure we, you know, take care of things and make sure his sons are okay. I would really appreciate that. That's what my master wanted me to ask you. Naaman said, oh, no problem. And gave him a bunch of stuff. And so now Gehazi just showed his true colors. He was following Elisha, but not with a heart for God. He wanted to be in the spotlight all the time. He wanted to be the mouthpiece for Elisha. And so all the performance the whole time was about his own personal gain. Wasn't like Elisha. I got challenged right there. I read that. I said, oh, Lord. The first thing I realized, I'm just trying to put myself in the story, right? So I start to realize. I said, okay. One of the things that Elisha did that I find myself doing is, Elisha put Gehazi in the spotlight. Yeah, I'm just telling you, as I began to examine the scripture, what I needed to think about. And I'm sure why he did it, because I think the same way too. He put him in a spotlight because in his mind, I got to train you and prepare you for how God can use you. So I got to make sure you are comfortable in the settings that you need to be comfortable in. I need to teach you the rope so you understand what you need to understand. And so Elisha was training Gehazi innocently in a loving way, thinking he's doing the right thing. But all along, it didn't work out. And that bothered me a little bit. Because I'm like, Elisha, I I like to make sure I recognize people. I like to make sure I'm doing the right thing to train you, to make sure you are fully equipped and make sure that, you know, I'm doing the best that I can to give you the best possibility of succeeding in God. That's what I like. That's what I think is right. But after I read that, I started worrying. Hold on, Wayne. That's me having my own conversation with myself here. I said, man, God, how does that work? What's wrong with making sure you're always putting people in the right position to be successful? And so here is part of my reasoning, and you can reason with me on it. 
Why does it seem to me that the old school way is always more effective? And no matter how much we evolved, and no matter how smart we get, and no matter how much technology get better, the old school way seems to always work better. He told Elijah, told Elijah, come on. He never explained anything to him. All he poured water, go do this, go do that. And he didn't tell him anything. He was just running him like a servant. And all he was doing was running like a servant. That don't work today. You tell people, just don't ask all that question. Just go. That's not going to work. So that, that, that put me in a, a situation where I'm like, man, God, what are we going to do? What do we ought to do as leaders? Because if I tell somebody, brother, can you just go do blah, 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 blah. First of all, the brother got to feel like doing it. And then if he kind of feel like doing it, he going, well, why do I need to do that? Why can't we do it this way? And I'm like, man, God, how is this going to all work out? Because that old school way is what made it work. Here go this guy. And, and you know, the old school always knew that. They did it the way they did it to test your heart. That's why they did it. They didn't do it to be mean. See, we look at it today and probably say, he didn't talk to me right. No, he is trying to test your character. Do you understand that when God called you, you are a servant and you have nothing to complain about, just serve. Because serving is a faith thing and it's not just the, I'm just, serving is a faith thing. Because you know you're doing it unto the Lord and not unto people. And so the old school way was they were making sure you had character because they know when you get into leadership position, the most important thing is character. And so he just bossed them around. How in the world are you going to try to call me and, and tell me to follow you and all you're doing is put your mantle on my shoulder and say, come on, follow me. And you're supposed to just come and follow me and ask no questions. Where are we going? You can't even ask that. Just come on. You know who Jesus is, right? Just come on. That's what Elisha did. And he did more miracles than his master. Than the other guy that was being trained the modern way. The modern way, like we know. Oh, Mr. Tom, you know, he's the one that's in charge of this. When he tells you to do something, just understand it's coming from me. That's the modern way. The person that's being trained like it, Everybody thinks it's nice because they see that I'm entrusting him and everything. And we like that. That way didn't work. It didn't work. Now, I understand. Don't get me wrong. I totally understand that it's just a matter of two different men's heart. I do get that. I do get that Gehazi just didn't have a right heart. I do get that. But I still have to deal with the part of the old school way worked. The new school way didn't work. That's, that's there. We can't do anything about that. The old school way was, this is what I need for you to do. Can you do that for me, brother? Okay. No questions asked. Just go ahead and do it. What they said, they've got a Y generation. 
that generation that every time you tell them something, they want to know why. Oh, boy. When Elijah told Elisha what to do, Elisha wasn't asking why. He just did it. And so I feel like in some way we're in a conundrum. Do we go to old school or the new school way? Should we just say, listen, man, I'm doing it new school. Whether people accept it or not or do it right or not, it's up to them because their heart got to be right. And if their heart is not right, it's up to them. Or do we go old school and says the same thing? I don't know. I don't know, Brother Sam. It's tough. But I just know what I read. And I know the one that had the right heart, he did. Listen, here's another thing. We got to get this through our skull as servants and leaders. As a leader, me, you, and everybody, you're always supposed to be mentoring someone. Just get this in your mind. Whomever you're mentoring, expect for them to do better than you. (laughs) That's so tough for us. I'll mentor you. Just as long as I'm still the king. Just as long as I'm still the one that did the very best. That's not what I read. That's not what I read. Elijah did eight miracles. Elisha did 16 miracles. Elisha was Elijah's understudy. Jesus' disciples did more than what Jesus did. <laughs> Do we need to get technical now? Because sometimes people don't respond until they hear Jesus' name. The disciples did more work. Jesus said it. Greater works shall you do. Don't mean greater than what he did because he raised the dead. He, he cleansed the leper. So, so they couldn't do anything greater than what he did. It just mean more. You're here longer. I'm here but for a short while. You're going to do more than me. So it's clear to me that our successors are supposed to do better and do more. Oh, help me, Jesus. And so if that's true, it it is important that we make sure they develop good character. Because what I've accomplished, they're going to accomplish more. So i got to make sure their character is tight. Oh. Gehazi's motive in pursuing Naaman are clear. Gehazi said to himself, I will run after him and take something from him. Gehazi was being self-driven and had his own self-interest. You can serve like you're serving and you'll be serving for yourself. You can be in church today right now. And you're serving, but you're doing it for yourself. You're doing it to look good. You're doing it because you're saying, one day, I want to get on the big stage. Sadly, in the end, Gehazi did not become the next prophet of God. When comparing the two servants, a clear distinction can be seen. 
Elisha served with little commentary given to his time of service. On the other hand, Gehazi was much more prominent in the things his master had him to do. Elisha did the things his master would have wanted of him. Gehazi pursued or pursuit of immediate reward left him without an anointing and was suffering from leprosy. Know what I've noticed still? When you are serving under a leader, you will operate, and this, you might not understand all of this, but it's just something for you to understand now. You'll get it some other time. You will realize that you will, you will operate in that leader's anointing. Mm-hmm. The scary thing is, huh, help us, Lord. If you operated under that leader, in that leader's anointing, but deep down, only you know and God knows that you are doing it for your own self-interest. If that leader put you in a position, you're going to mess up yourself. Because now you have to operate in your own anointing. And if you didn't do it with the right heart, you have no anointing. <laughs> it will serve us well to make sure if we serve the Lord. When we serve others, when we serve in the church, we're serving because we're serving in faith. My reward is coming from Jesus Christ. My reward is from the Lord. I'm doing this because I want to please God. Elisha was a model servant while Gehazi was the portrayal of someone who served with the wrong motives. Motive is very important. For what you do. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You know, the first thing police officers do when they're investigating a case is, first thing, before they get deep, motive. 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 And I got to be honest with you. I tell on myself, I respond to people, motive. You can read me if you want. When I deal with people, I'm straight dealing with motive. And the other day our superintendent posted something in the scripture. What was it? Matthew Matthew 25, 21 through 23 or something. But what he posted was, if people don't have the right motive when you ask them a question, when they ask you a question, you're not obligated to answer it. That's in the book. I said, thank you, Jesus. Because I know for some reason I deal with motive a lot. And so when people are coming at me when I'm answering questions, sometimes I might come off the wrong way. But it's because I'm looking at motive. I don't know why I do that. But it's just, it's, it's, it has become a part of who I am now. So when I'm dealing with things, I said, what's the motive? And if the motive I don't think is right, I don't even want to deal with it. I feel like I'm wasting my time. If it's about the Lord's business, let's work it out. I will sit with you all night long to work it out if it's about the Lord's business. If you're just talking just to talking, oh, eventually I'm just going to scoot off and just be like, all right, I'll talk to you later. 
And you say, what? <laughs> I do that a lot. I, I do that quite a bit, right, Sammy? When the conversation goes sideways, before you know it, you're looking around for me. <laughs> I'm gone, man. I just can't waste time. I don't know what that's all about. Just slide to the side, and before you know it, I'm gone. Elijah's reward for service was to become the prophet in Elijah's stead, one reward of service is often the opportunity to further service at more meaningful level. So your reward for serving, most of the times it won't come until eternity. But what should give you reward is your desire to improve upon what you are doing when you success or succeed the person that was doing it. So when I say, okay, I'm serving in this capacity, my reward, I should, I shouldn't have to worry about how people treat me and, and, and what kind of spotlight I get or don't get. My reward should be, did I make it better when I did it? That's it. That's all. That's all my reward should be. Did I do a good enough job to make it better than how I found it? Yeah, that's my reward. That's your reward. So when you agree to serve in some capacity, what you're saying is, I want this to be the very best it can be while I'm serving in this capacity. And the person that come behind you, their mindset should be, I want to make it a little bit better than how when Brother Tom was doing it. Not because I'm competing with Brother Tom, but that's just because it's the way of life. That's how it's supposed to be. Your successor is supposed to do better than you. It's not competition. It's just the way of life. And... If you are the one to mentor that successor, why wouldn't you want them to do better? Jordan liked to talk about dying. I don't know what's up with him. Y'all better pray. Because the other day, we got on dying again. And I'm, and, and I'm asking him, what will happen if I die? And he'll take my credit cards, take my money, and pass to the church. That's what he told me. He said he's going to take my credit cards, he's going to take my money, and he's going to pass to the church. That's what he told me. I don't know why we got to talk about death all the time. But my point for saying that is, if any one of my kids was to get in to the ministry and serve, I would want them to do better than me. What about you? Wouldn't you want your kids to do better than you for what you did? I want my kids to do better than me. Well, we shouldn't be respect of persons. Mm-hmm. When it's about the, 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 the kingdom business, we shouldn't be respect of persons. Just like I want my kid to do better than me, I want your kid to do better than me. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. Whoever you are, if you want your kid to do better than you, then you're supposed to want anybody that comes behind you to do better than you. Not just your kid. Because we're all the children of God. So we got to get that in our heart that it's about the person that's succeeding us. We should expect them to do better than us. 
And we should be sitting back hoping they fail so we can still look good. Because you look better when you can train somebody. That's where the real rubber meeting the road is at. Is when you can train somebody to do what you do and they do it better than you. That says something about you. It says something about you. Now, if you didn't do any training and they took the job and started doing it well, yeah, then you feel bad. But you should train somebody up to be better than you in whatever you're doing. Motives are very important to look at when we're serving. What kind of motive are you serving with? When you come to church and you decide to serve, what's in your heart? Why are you doing it? I think we're still going there. All right. Let me try and finish up this thing. Let's go back to our text we read earlier about obeying servants, obeying your masters. In Paul's day, slavery was a common thing. And so, thank you. And so Paul, he knew who he was dealing with. So he was writing to an audience that he would use words that they would be familiar with. So slave was common then. Here's the other thing. Bond servants. Bond servants was also common. A bond servant is someone that is... In a situation where they don't have a choice but to serve under you. Right? You're in charge of their life as they serve you. And so, it was important to understand why he was using that word servant. He was dealing with the people that understood. The church in Colossae, which is in Colossians. that When, when we read the book of Colossians, the, the place is Colossae. So, that's why they're called Colossians. So it was a church in Colossae. The people are called Colossians. They're church people. They're Christians. So the church in Colossae would have had many people from that kind of socioeconomic status and condition. They were bond servants or they were slaves. These people would have been blue collar workers and their service would have involved menial and unpleasant tasks. Paul understood his audience, so that's why he started getting into it like that. Can I say this? The best employees in any company should be a man or a woman of God who is a committed Christian. The best employees in any corporation should be men and women of God that are committed Christians. We should always be the best employees. Because whatever we do, we do it unto the Lord. This is why we're supposed to be the best employees. Because at our jobs, where we work, we're supposed to do our job as unto the Lord. So just like those bond servants, they were bond servants, but they were Christians. 
So they had to serve their master as Christians, as unto the Lord. So they, they couldn't just serve their master any kind of way they want. They were Christians. And so when we go to our jobs today, we're being paid a wage to serve our company. We should be the very best workers in our organization. Why are you quiet? You don't think that's true? Well, if we're doing it unto the Lord, we should. And the standard that, that, that we should be doing it under, understanding who we're doing it for, supersedes everything. Because we know who we're serving. So while I may be, you know, uh, uh, a mason, you know, building buildings or working construction or whatever I do, I'm doing that unto the Lord. Listen, there are some nuances about me and probably the same thing about you. But, Brother Tom, you can relate. If I set out to be a Christian, I better make sure everything I do is particular. Because I'm doing it unto the Lord. You got to watch Brother Tom set this room up. Brother Tom has measured everything. The way it needs to be, how many inches away. He doesn't literally measure it. He got an eye for it by now, how everything is set. Today I came in and he wasn't here yet. You know what I did? I set up the things that wasn't so important as far as their placement. I left the other stuff that I knew. He has specific placement, how he needs it to stretch out. I know that's what he likes to do, so I left that alone. He's particular. He's doing it unto the Lord. And Brother Tom, I'm putting you in trouble because I'm putting you on the spot like Gehazi was put on the spot. I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that, my friend. But we got to be particular because we're doing things unto the Lord. We're not doing it because we want to look good. If you do it unto the Lord, you're going to look good. Because our standards doesn't even compare. We'll just, just half do things just to get it done. Like when I tell my kids to cut the grass. They'll just half do it and just... Uh, even though I was surprised, um, wife, that Nasir really um, shoveled out that area. My goodness. I thought I, I, thought I would have still drove on snow, you know, because they just don't do things right. You tell the kids to do something, the young people, man, they just half-heartedly do things. So when I told them to do it, I said it better be done before I get home from work. And I knew it would be done, but I just knew it was going to be half-heartedly done. I said, I'm driving home. I says, I just can see it now. I was shocked. I was, I, I was able to see the asphalt. Concrete. That's how, that's how good he shoveled it. I'm still shocked. Like, he really did that? I, don't, I scared him a little. I ain't going to tell you what I told him, but I scared him. So, man, <laughs> I scared him. I saw concrete and asphalt. He did it right. <laughs> My goodness. There are three principles to notice when Paul talks about servants Obey your masters. Paul addressed a servant. Three things he made big deal about. The motives, the attitudes, and the behavior of a servant. As a servant in the kingdom of God, check your motives, check your attitude, and check your behavior. 
If you're going to be a servant unto the Lord in the kingdom of God, in the local church, check your motives, check your attitudes, and check your behavior. Motives are the driving force to sustain the right behavior. Again, if I know I'm doing this unto the Lord, you can't make me mad. Hey boy, come get your stuff. You know, here's a challenge. I don't know if I should get this deep. But let me get a little deep. Within our organization, Sister Sharon, let me talk to Sister Sharon. Within our organization, the United Pentecostal Church International, in North America, um, the predominant constituency is white. Blacks and Spanish are not that much in North America. Majority of our constituency is white in North America. But our organization is probably more Asian than blacks, than whites. <laughs> People don't know that. Because our organization is in Jamaica, it's in Africa, you know, it's in Asia. So you know the amount of people that are in Asia, Asians. So we probably have more Asians in our constituency as an uh, entire organization than blacks. Because when you go to Africa, what do you got? You hit Jamaica and all the Caribbean, what do you got? It's only North America where you see most of the whites. All right. So I say that, Sister Sharon. So you already got some knowledge. So when people say you in that white organization, you just need to smile. You say, really? <laughs> you don't know about our organization. <laughs> That's just North America that you're talking about. But anyway, here we go. And so what I've noticed in North America most of the white pastors are called brother. So if I'm a white pastor, my name is Brother Wyatt. Yes, that's how it usually is. When you go in the churches that are pastored by black pastors, Pastor Wyatt. I don't have time to get into why that all came about. But here's where I stand on it. Doesn't matter to me what you call me. You're going to call me what I am to you. Mm -hmm. So if I'm pastoring you, you're going to address me as pastor. And I'll even go as far as to say this. It's okay to still call me brother and pastor. Because there's going to be situations, because here's the, here's the truth about it. I am your brother, and if you allow me to pastor you, I am your pastor. And I've, I got a friend that says, the highest title we can have as Christians, brother, sister. Because it means we have the same Daddy. I can be pastor and don't have the same daddy as you. I can be evangelist and not have the same daddy as you. I can be whatever and still don't have the same daddy who is Jesus Christ. So really at the end of the day, brother is just fine. My point of saying that is, 
If you was to say to me, hey, yo, and you trying to call me, it don't offend me. Nobody going to offend me. Why? I serve the Lord. Hey, Wayne, don't offend me. I serve the Lord. Yo, I'm not offended. I serve the Lord. Because what you allow me to be in your life is what I will be. And if I'm yo, all you're getting is the yo blessing. I'm just telling it. I'm serious. So, so it's up to you how you want to handle it. I'm not going to tell anybody how to handle it. Because I'm comfortable in my skin. Because this that I'm doing, Jesus told me to do this. And I'm doing it for him. And that's the principle I want all of you to get. Whatever we're doing, we're doing it unto the Lord. So we don't get offended. And if we get offended, we need to get on our knees and say, Lord, what's in my heart? Why I got offended for what they just said. It must be something that's wrong with me that is in me why I got offended. If I got offended. But we shouldn't let anybody offend us because we're servants of the Most High God. We're not servants for ourselves. We're not serving for recognition. We're not serving to get man's approval. We're serving to please God. We got to check our motives. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? A Christian's service is not just for the person who received the service. As we serve others, we serve the Lord. Learned a long time ago. Jesus is not sitting on the throne somewhere here in the earth and we're walking up to him and bowing and giving him stuff. He's not here in the earth sitting on the throne so we got to bring stuff to him. So when we serve each other, we're serving him. It's the only way to serve him. He's not sitting on the throne here in this church. He is sitting on the throne in heaven. And when we serve each other, we please him. Somebody say, man. Amen. Serving Christ is not to be relegated to a few hours each week. Instead, Paul saw it as constant. When you have a servant's heart and you're serving unto the Lord, you serve in the building, out the building, in your home, in your community, wherever you are, you're serving because again, Remember what I'm saying? You're doing it unto the Lord. I'm almost done. Paul called for servants to have an undivided heart. When we talk about heart, we're not talking about your organ inside your body. We're talking about your will and your emotions. So when you're serving God, your will and your emotion cannot be divided. Your will and your emotion must be on the thing that you're doing, on the Lord, on the service you're providing unto the Lord. And sometimes we're trying to serve and we're thinking about other things. We're, 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 we're divided in, in two different places. The Bible says, no man can serve. You got to serve one. You got to serve one. Got to serve one. Now, I'm going to finish up with this. Here is 
the reward that you can expect to receive in being a servant of God. You remember the prodigal son? All right, prodigal son. I'm going to give you two stories and then I'm done. Prodigal son, he left, took his inheritance, and went and lived riotous act, doing all kind of crazy things. And, of course, we have these stories in the scripture to get us to understand how the Lord sees us and how we are. So it's all comparable, okay? And so the prodigal son took his inheritance and went about his business. He's, his eldest brother stayed home and kept serving. And then the dad was, you know, rich enough where he had servants. The Bible says the dad saw the son one day when the son finally decided, man, I'm crazy for living messed up like this. I need to go back home to my dad. And I just want to go back home and just be a servant. I don't even need to be his son anymore. I just want to be a servant. And so he left the, riot, the, 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 the filthy life that he was living. And on his way going home, the Bible says his father saw him afar off. And he ran to him and hugged him and kissed him on the neck. But here is the clincher because we're talking about serving. And he said to the servants, give me that coat. Give me that ring. Let me put the ring on his finger. Let me put the coat on him. Let me put some slippers on his foot. And let's go kill the fatted calf and celebrate. A lot of things going on here. The servants were with the dad, the master, when he met the son. They was privy to everything that was going on. They knew exactly what needed to be done. So check this out. So they left while dad probably was hugging his son, just loving him up. They left to go back up to the house to go kill the fatted calf. The eldest son. What's going on? He asking the servant. What's going on? Oh, your brother came home. Your dad just sent me to kill the, the fatted calf and your dad gave him the ring and gave him the coat, put some stuff on his feet and your dad over there with him. You should go over there too. Servants know about stuff before children sometimes. So part of your reward for serving is being privy to the business of God. We look down at servanthood, but you're the first people to know what God is up to when you are a servant of God. And so while everybody was trying to figure out what's going on, the servants knew. They went back up and said, we got to kill the calf. What are you doing that for? The, the master told us, kill the calf. The master told us, we're going to have a party. We know the servants probably telling the wife. Servants telling the whole family, the neighbors, what's going on. Because they the servants. And so the master need their service in order to get the job done. Think about you and God. He is the master. We are the servants. And he will make us privy to what he is up to. 
This is why when you serve God, you got to experience the power of God in your life. Because He can't send you to do something if you're powerless. He can't send you to do something if you don't have the knowledge. It is good to be a servant. There is great reward to being God's servant because you are privy to it and you are equipped to accomplish God's will. We need to serve the Lord with gladness. And finally, remember when Jesus turned the water to wine? Mm hmm. Here's another scenario. And so, and so here we go. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was in charge of his wedding reception. And they ran out of wine. The governor was at this reception. And all kind of dignitaries were there. But they were being served, those governors and dignitaries. They were being served. And so they ran out of the wine. They ran out the good drink. And by the way, it's not wine. It's not liquor that you think. They ran out. And so... Mary said to the servants, here we go again, Mary, Jesus' mother, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Remember that? That's what she said. Do whatever he tells you to do. We, we need to take that and just run with that right there. Do whatever he tells you to do. And so they said, okay. Jesus said, go fill those water pots up with water. Those water pots probably contain 15 to 25 gallons of water. Go fill those water pots up. But they knew all about filling up water pots because they servants. And so they fill it up. Jesus turned the water into wine. They bring the water pots back in. And now they start drinking. The governor says, man, I don't even know where this came from. This tastes better than the first one we had. He said, I didn't know where this came from. The servants knew. The servants was on the spot. When they got the water pots and they filled it up, whatever Jesus said to make it become wine, they was there. They know how he operates because they are there. And so the reward to serving God while we're here on earth, until we get our eternal reward, the reward here while we're serving, first of all, we serve in faith. But the second thing is our reward here is that we're privy to the business of God. And if that's not enough, then I don't know what to tell you. But while we're here serving each other, we're really doing it unto the Lord. It's in faith. But while we're here doing it, the reward is we're privy to his business. I learned that a little bit ago. And many people, Sister Heidi, 
get frustrated because they want God to do something and they want to, they want to know why God aren't, God is not moving and why God is not doing it and they're trying to figure out what's wrong, what's not working. Because you're not a servant! You don't know! You want to know? Be a servant! You want to stop being frustrated? Be a servant! I got involved with the outreach team, evangelism team, because the scripture says, not because nobody told me to do it, the scripture says, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They should cast out demons. In my name, they should speak with new tongues. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall pick up serpents and it shall not harm them. And in verse 20, in Mark 16, verse 20, and he says, And they went preaching the gospel, the Lord working with them. One of the most powerful verses of scripture. He told them, Go ye and preach the gospel. Servants. And when they went and preached the gospel, the last text in that scripture says, the Lord working with them. I found out the secret a while back how to make the Lord work with me. I found out the secret how to experience the power of God. I found out the secret how to really experience God's power and to experience God's anointing. I found it out. Be a servant. That's the secret. That's where the reward come from. You want to be anointed? Be a servant, Joe. You want to know what God is up to? Be a servant. He never failed that way. When it rained the first time, who knew? The servant. Only Noah knew. Only Noah was privy to that it was going to rain. Servants will always be privy to what God is doing. People stand back and get jealous. Because you talking to this brother or talking to this sister. Why are you always talking to that one? And why are you all talking to... Because they servants. And they never give a hard time when you ask them to do anything. They just, come on, you got to get done. Let's get it done. And then you have others. Scripture talked about it. They only serve when people are looking. That's the only time they serve. If nobody's looking, the Bible says it. They serve with for eye service and to be men pleasers. That's what the Bible says, right? You read it? So some people was only serving because they want people to see them serve. Some people are only serving because they want people to say, look what he or, he or she is doing. And they wasn't serving unto the Lord. And so we don't need to serve to please man, to get kudos, because those kudos can't touch the rewards that God has for you. The eternal reward and just to walk in the power and the authority of God. When you, when you are a servant of God, you walk in his authority. You walk, you, you represent him. I'm not sure. But Gehazi probably got all lifted 
because he was the one that delivered the message. Says, oh, the prophet said, go to Jordan River and dip seven times. He was delivering what the prophet said. He might have thought he was the prophet after a moment there. That's what happened to Lucifer. I can be as God. Listen, I've been teaching these lessons on servant, serving God, because I'm praying to God that we will become servants in this church. That we will begin to start looking around and says, hey, you know, I think I can do this. You need help with this? Can I do that for you? Because remember what I told you. The Lord will show me if I can come to you if you're ready to do whatever it takes. But in case I'm not on top of my game, if you're ready, then you need to come see me. Because remember what I said. One can serve the Lord Jesus in the local church and not make it to heaven. However, one cannot make it to heaven if they don't serve the Lord Jesus in the local church. There is not one person that's been born again, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence speaking in tongues, and, 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 and coming to church. There's not one person that can live that life and never do anything in the local church for the Lord that will get to heaven. Because somewhere within that, you're going to begin to fail. Because you can't be a part of God's kingdom and not be a part of assisting with the expansion of the kingdom. If we're going to be a part of God's kingdom, we have to be a, a part, involved in the expansion by being of service to him. Remember I told you, God don't need your abilities. God don't need your help. He just needs your servants, your service. Any questions? We're all good? All right, let's stand and let's pray. And thank God tonight for his goodness and his mercy. Amen. I believe you heard what the Lord was saying to your heart tonight. I believe that we can truly grab a hold to what has been spoken, what was spoken here tonight in your hearing. I believe God's going to do something special through you because you understand what it's all about to be a servant of God, not to please people, not to say, look at me knowing that you will be rewarded. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. Father, I am so privileged to be a part of your kingdom and to be involved in service in your kingdom. It is so gratifying. It is such a privilege. It is such a blessing. And I am thankful, Lord God, that you chose us individually and collectively to serve in the greatest entity ever known unto man. To serve in the greatest organism ever known unto man. We're so grateful, oh God, that we can be a part and that we can contribute, Lord Jesus. You're so good. God, here we are 
we present our bodies living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service. We want you to work in us and through us, Lord God. We belong to you. You are our master. We are your servants. Yes, we are you. We are your children, but we're children that choose to serve you in love. And so God, we're so thankful that we're servants and children and we're serving in love for God what you care about that's what we want to care about what you want that's what we want and Father, I pray that you would touch us in a special way, that you'll move mightily and miraculously in this church, that we will grab a hold of servanthood, and that God, we will serve not like Gehazi, but serve like Elisha. Oh God, help us tonight as we go from this place, will you keep us, keep your hand upon us, Lord God, and strengthen us. We can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. We love you, praise you, and thank you. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Somebody.